If you got your Bibles open to Colossians chapter 1, being verses 24 through 29 this morning. Colossians chapter 1, 24 through 29. If you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard of what's called the 80-20 rule. Uh, now, some say 85 or 80% or 85% or 75%. But I, I call it the 80-20 rule. And it's used kind of in the church to kind of cover a whole uh, broad range of topics. Kind of like um, <clears throat> once you hit 80% capacity in your sanctuary, then you've kind of maxed out your space. You might still have seats that are empty, uh, but you've maxed out your space. So in here, we've got 200 chairs. So once we hit 160 people, even though we've still got 40 extra chairs, we're kind of full. And so if we get to that point, then we'll need to start looking at what to do next. The 80-20 rule is also carried out to uh, in most churches. Now, let me say this before I say this. I have no idea who gives, who gives what, or anything like that, and I will never know. Uh, but in most churches, uh, the concept is 20% of the people give uh, 80% of the money that the church has. And honestly, look at the church that I came from. Uh, if you look at the family units that gave, it was about 20 to 25% of the people gave on a regular basis their tithe, and the rest of the church did not. And so that 80-20 rule kind of, kind of uh, um, proves itself to be somewhat factual. Now also another way that's used is in the church, uh, it's 20% of the people do the majority of the work, the majority of the service. And so a lot of times in the church, you've got uh, multiple people doing multiple things. Now, the goal of what we're looking at this morning, or the direction that we're going this morning, is looking at God's call on the church, God's call on us to serve within the church. And why we should serve within the church, and not only why we should, not that it's a, it's a chore or a job, but why we should uh, be joyous and encouraged and find that to be a good thing to serve in the church. Now, last week we looked at Paul and he talked about how, um, well, two weeks ago we looked at Paul talking about Jesus and uh, the, the supremacy of Jesus Christ, of how Jesus was greater than everything. Last week he carried that on to show uh, who we are without Christ, that we are alienated from him and hostile in mind, and then uh, how he has reconciled us to himself. And then Paul kind of uses those as building blocks to transition into this idea of the church. In fact, we didn't cover this much last week because I knew we were going to be hitting it this week. In verse 23, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse 23, he ended by saying, uh, he's talking about the gospel. He says, which has been proclaimed in creation, in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And that idea of him saying, I became a minister, is what drives us into this next section of his letter to the Colossians. Now, if we look at this, we see that word minister, it's easy for us to just assume, well, Paul's talking about preachers. Paul's talking about pastors. So this, this next passage of Scripture where he's talking about this, it's not just for, for everyone, this is just for the pastors. Well, that's not entirely true. Because when you go back and look in the Greek, now remember the, the Old Testament or the New Testament was written in Greek. It was later translated into English so that we don't have to learn Greek to be able to read God's Word. But if you go back and look at the word in Greek, 
minister might not be the best translation because the Greek word is diakonos. And diakonos literally means servant. It's actually where we get the word deacon from. And so as Paul talks about in verse 23, of which I've become a minister, he is literally saying, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. He's not talking about the office of deacon. He's not talking about the office of pastor. He's talking about one who has been changed by the gospel. And because he understands the, the, the power of the gospel going out, he wants to serve within God's church to do whatever he can to see that happen. So this is not a passage that is directed towards pastors or towards clergy. It's not directed towards deacons. This is directed towards every believer. And it's a call from God to us to serve. All right. So as we go through this morning, we're going to see Paul uh, talk about his love for the church so the questions that we're going to be asking ourselves once we get through this service are, is how much do I love the church? And then how does my love for the church show? So let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. We'll read, we'll pray, and then we'll start going through the passage. Colossians 1, 24 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister. Once again, that's the exact same word that translates into servant. Of which I became a servant according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of His... uh, Excuse me. Among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of His mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. Let's pray. Father God, when we, we come before you now, and I pray, God, that as we look at your word, God, as we look at your church, as we look at us um, partnering with each other, partnering with you to uh, minister within the church, whether it's to other believers, whether it's to those outside of the church, Father God, I pray that you would help us, God, by looking at Paul. Father God, help us to build up a, a healthy love for the church. And Father God, that that you would inspire us and motivate us, God, to to want to be servants within and without uh, your church, God, for your glory. God, speak through your Holy Spirit and your word louder than my voice ever could. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Okay, so the first thing that we see is that Paul's love for the church was greater than the cost that came with the church. Verse 24, he says this, it says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church. Paul talks about suffering with joy for the church. Remember, Paul is sitting in prison right now because he's been going out, preaching the gospel, working with churches, starting churches. Because of this, Paul is sitting in jail. He is suffering in a very real way because of the gospel for the sake of the church. 
So he understands, but he says that I am, uh, I rejoice in my suffering. See, Paul understands that God has established the church. In fact, there are two organizations that God has established, or two structures that God has established, which He works through for discipleship and evangelism. It's the family and the church. That's what God has created for uh, His gospel to spread to people to see lives changed for eternity. God set up the government as well uh, for, for structure, for organization, for uh, punishment, uh, for punishing wrongdoing. But for the, the sake of the gospel, God established the family and God established the church. And so Paul understands the importance of the church. Also, Paul understands, as he has made mention in other letters that he has written, that the, um, the, the church is both the body and the bride of Christ. And so as Christ loves His bride, as Christ's body is used to serve Him and to be His his messengers to the world around, Paul sees and understands the value of the church, and Paul knows how much Jesus loves the church. He understands that the business that, that the church is all about Church is not all about making everyone feel just, just happy inside. There's sometimes we read the Bible, there's sometimes that we might walk out of a service and we don't necessarily feel super happy about ourselves. Maybe we've been convicted of sin. Maybe God's kind of pointed out something uh, in our lives that says, this does not look like me. This is something that we need to work on together to get out of your life. Sometimes people say the pastor stepped on their toes this morning. It's not me. That's God at work in our hearts and in our lives. And so the purpose of the church is to come together to worship God, to grow together in our faith, and to share the gospel outside of these walls, to see the gospel spread. That's the purpose of what we are here for. And that has an eternal value to it. And Paul understands that. So Paul can say that he is joyous, that he is rejoicing in his suffering because he understands the value of what he is investing in is greater than anything else. And he almost wears it like a badge of honor. Now, we need to take just a second to look at the next phrase, or the the phrase that Paul uses after he talks about rejoicing in his sufferings. Because he kind of uses a, a strange terminology to describe this. He says... In my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, here's why I think that we need to spend just a second looking at that. First of all, you look at that, and maybe it raises some questions. What does he mean that he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? What can be lacking in how Christ suffered? It's also important for us to look at it because there are some Catholics have built a large part of their, of their doctrine of purgatory on this verse. The idea of purgatory is... Um, now remember, the Catholics believe that you work for your salvation, that you earn your salvation, that you did not do enough good stuff uh, in this life to earn your salvation. And so when you die, instead of going to heaven or hell, you go to purgatory. And in purgatory, your relatives still alive can pray and do things to earn you your place in heaven. And so the idea of purgatory, one of the places that Catholics use to try to support this is this passage where Paul says that he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now let me say right now that that is 100% not what Paul is saying. 
Remember, one of the things that we've talked about how to study the Bible that I have stressed and stressed and stressed is the idea of context, of taking verses, taking passages in context. So these verses don't exist on their own for us to just kind of pick this one and then pick that one outside of the context of how it was written. Remember, when Paul wrote this, he did not write verse 1. Hi, this is Paul. Verse 2, hey Colossians. Paul wrote a letter and then several hundred years later, someone went through and added verses and chapter numbers so that it's easier for us to find what we're looking at. Paul did not write this as chapters and verses. Paul just wrote a letter. So we take things in context. Now remember... The context that we have seen so far in this book is Paul has been talking about how awesome and how great, how preeminent Jesus is. Last week he talked about how we are alienated and hostile in mind in our natural state as sinners and how God has reconciled us to Himself. How? Through Jesus Christ. Paul has just spent the last ten or so verses talking about the greatness of who Jesus Jesus is and the greatness of what Jesus has done. It makes no sense for Paul then to say that that somehow Christ's sacrifice for us was lacking and we have to partner in or earn our salvation. Contextually, Paul has transitioned in verse 24, talking about rejoicing in his sufferings for the sake of the church or for your sake. He has now transitioned from Christ's death for the church, Christ's sacrifice for the church, Christ's um, offering salvation to Paul suffering for the church's sake or on the church's account. So there's been a transition here in context from talking about everything that Jesus has done to now we're talking about the idea of suffering. No longer talking about what Jesus has done. Now we're talking about, okay, Jesus died for us. Jesus reconciled for us. Now, what happens because of that? What are some of the the byproducts that come out of that? So what is Paul talking about? Paul is suffering for the sake, for the expansion of the gospel, for the discipleship of the church. Paul is suffering for the sake of the church in in a similar sense as Christ suffered for the salvation of the church. Now, before Jesus died on the cross, He had met with His disciples. And in John 14, 15, 16, it all leads up. It's Jesus kind of this, this last time with His disciples. It's Him praying for His disciples. It's, it's them doing the, the, the final dinner. And He's kind of giving them some of these final teachings. And in this section, He tells them, He says, If the world hated me, it will continue to hate you. If the world persecuted me, if the world despised me, then they are going to hate and despise you as well. And then Jesus goes and is crucified. That, 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 that hatred is brought to fulfillment where He is beaten, He is whipped, and He is nailed to a cross. The idea that Paul is talking about here is not that he is earning some type of salvation, but the the hatred that the world had for Jesus. Remember, he was the light of the world. He came to the darkness. He was rejected by his own. They did not want him. The hatred that the world had for Jesus... Because Jesus is gone has been transferred to us. So Paul is saying that he can rejoice because he is experiencing the the hostility that the world had for Christ. He is experiencing himself. 
And this is not just the only time that this is mentioned in Scripture. Paul says in... um, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12 that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In Acts chapter 5 verse 41, um, the disciples have just been arrested for preaching the gospel. They've been uh, spent the night in jail, then they were beaten uh, and then released. And it says that they were left joyously. They left rejoicing because they were counted as worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. When Paul talks about filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ Jesus, he's not talking about completing the work of Christ. That's already done. It is finished. Jesus did everything that was to be done on the cross and in the the resurrection. What he's talking about is the, the suffering that he endured to show us his love. That Paul is continuing that suffering because he loves Jesus, because he loves the church. He is continuing that suffering, not to earn them salvation, but because the hostility of the world, the hostility that the world has for Jesus, Paul is taking upon himself. And throughout history, this hostility has been poured on the church. Christians have been uh, put in the Colosseum to be killed by gladiators and, and, and wild animals uh, for the enjoyment of the masses. Nero took Christians and put them on stakes and lit them on fire to light his gardens at night. Even now, Christians in uh, Muslim-controlled parts of the world are persecuted and are killed for their faith. In China, churches are burnt down and destroyed. Christians facing or, or fulfilling that affliction that is ultimately aimed at Jesus, but because He is not here, is aimed at His followers. But Paul says, I rejoice in that, not because Paul's some kind of weird masochist and he likes pain, but Paul understands that the reason why suffering comes, the reason why he is sitting in jail, is because he is aligned with Jesus Christ. He loves Jesus. He loves the church to the extent that he is willing to suffer and bear the cost that comes with being aligned with Jesus, being His child, and being one who serves with the church. So Paul is not adding to salvation, but he's showing his love for the church and his suffering. So Paul's love for the church was shown in his willingness to suffer for its growth and maturity. How do we show our love for the church? How do we show ours? Because as Paul talked about being a servant, we are all called to be servants of not only Christ, but servants in the church. We are called to be ministers. We are called to serve one another. Um, if you were here when we went through the, the, the spiritual gifts on Sunday night, Paul makes the argument that the reason why we have been gifted with spiritual gifts is not for ourselves, but it's so that we can minister to other believers, so that we can be there and serve other people in their faith to build their faith up. And so the question that we've got to ask ourselves is how are we serving God and serving His church? Now understand, I don't want to shame anybody into doing anything. If it's not God that's going to lead you, then you're ultimately not going to be fulfilled. You're not going to have happiness in it. You're not going to stick with it. But I want us to ask ourselves, how are we serving the church? Because the church is not created for us just to come and sit and soak. 
God desires for us, God has, has created the church for all of us to be working together, using our talents, using our gifts, using how God has made us and formed us to impact each other and then to impact the lost around us. And look, I understand. I understand that there are times when um, that serving in the church can be, can be tough. There's a cost that comes with it because to serve in the church, that means there are things that I cannot do because I'm investing that time in the church. Now, not bad things are good things. It just means that if I'm going to come to the church on Wednesday night to help with the kids or help with the students or to, uh, if I'm going to uh, teach a Sunday school class, if I'm going to do whatever, then that means there are things that I cannot do because of that, because it takes up my time, it takes up my effort, it takes up my energy. So there's a cost that comes with it. But as Paul has laid out, and Paul is going to continue to lay out, the benefits of that are eternal versus other things that we could be doing, even good things. And so, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, For this momentary light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul looked at life and understood that the suffering that came with wanting to walk with Jesus, the suffering that came with wanting to share the gospel, the suffering that came with wanting to be a part of the church and serve in the church and serve the church, Paul understood that there came affliction with that. Sometime there came frustration with that. Sometime it messed up our schedules. Paul understood that. But Paul said, it is far greater what I am getting or what we are aiming for or what we are accomplishing by sharing the gospel and working with the church than any affliction that this life might bring. Next, in verses 25 to 27, we see that Paul's service to the church was because of the change that God had brought to his life. Verses 25 to 27, Paul writes, of which I, he's talking about the, the gospel, he's talking about the church. Um, he ended in, in verse 24 saying, For the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul went from being Saul who hated and persecuted the church to being Paul who was an apostle, a missionary, a church planner, and one who gave his life to see the, the, the Word of God grow and expand, the church expand in its impact and its reaches to see lives change. There is a change that happened in Paul's Life, A huge change that happened in Paul's life when he became a Christian. And because of that, he says that he brought on this stewardship. That's the idea of responsibility. Paul's entire outlook on life, Paul's hopes, Paul's hearts, Paul's desires, Paul's wants, all of that changed when he became a Christian. He went from despising and hating the church to loving the church and being willing to suffer for the church. And so this responsibility that he bears as a servant of the church, the purpose of this work is to share the gospel. He says that he became a minister uh, according to the stewardship from God uh, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. 
This mystery that he is making well known, that is Jesus. When he talks about it being hidden from generations past, that's the Old Testament. The Old Testament, so much of that with the covenants and with the history and the promises that God made to the people of Israel are all aiming towards Jesus and fulfilled in Jesus. And as they are fulfilled in Jesus, he is the one that fulfills that mystery, this, this promise of the Messiah, this promise of salvation. And so Jesus Christ, who came, who died, who rose again, who ascended into heaven. He is the one that Paul is talking about. He's talking about taking out this message, being this ministry or this minister of the, uh, the expansion of God's word. Jesus or Paul is talking about taking out the name of Jesus and telling people that he has made it where we can go from alienated to reconciled. And Paul says, because of the change that God has done in my life, I'm going to be a part of hopefully seeing that change occur in other other people's lives as well. You know, before Paul was a Christian, Paul's life was filled with prosperity. Paul's life was filled with honor and respect from the people. But Paul understood that what Christ brought him was infinitely greater. Philippians 3, 5 through 8 says this, Paul talks about everything that he was before he became a Christian. How he was kind of uh, one of the best of the best when it came to being a Jew. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of church, the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So basically before a Christian, when it came to his culture, when it came to, to his worldview, there was no one greater, no one more pious, no one with more worthy of more respect than Paul. Verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. When we embrace what God has done for us, going from alienated to reconciled, it makes the cost and responsibility of serving Him a joy and not a burden. Paul hated the church. Paul even says that before he became a Christian, before Jesus, one of his qualifications that he listed that kind of gave him prestige was he was a persecutor of the church. Paul despised the church, but when Jesus Christ came into his life, he saw the church as something valuable. He saw the church as something beautiful. He saw the church as this gathering of believers coming together to love each other, coming together to encourage one another, coming together to see each other grow in our faith, coming together to worship God together, coming together to partner together to take the gospel out to the world around us. Paul saw the church as a beautiful, beautiful, awesome, glorious thing that God had created so that God's word could continue to spread. It's because of that, Paul was willing to suffer because he understood the value of the church and what it was doing. Verse 28, we see the goal of the church. And the goal of the church is this. The goal of the church is to work to move people from death to life to maturity in their faith. Look at verse 28. After I read this several months ago, it kind of became one of my favorite verses. It says, Him, that's being Jesus, Him we proclaim, 
warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This one verse, Paul lays out the purpose of the gospel, or the purpose of, excuse me, the church. First, Proclaiming Jesus to warn everyone. That's the proclamation of the gospel. That's the proclamation that Jesus Christ, He came, He died, He rose, He ascended. Why? So that we could have our sins forgiven. Why? So that we don't have to face the judgment that we deserve for our sins. Why? So that we could have life and adoption into God's family. That we could go from alienated and hostile to reconciled with God and adopted into His family. This transition happens and Paul says, first, we proclaim Jesus and we warn people. We warn people about what life without Jesus looks like. And it looks like judgment. And it looks like guilt. And it looks like shame. And it's a terrible place to be. But in Christ, there is life. In Christ, there is hope. In Christ, there is peace and there is forgiveness. And shame is gone and guilt is gone. In Christ, there is life. There is light. And Paul says, we start off... By proclaiming Jesus, warning everyone, we proclaim the gospel. And then teaching everyone. Teaching is presenting the truths of the Scriptures, presenting who God is, what Jesus has done for us, the expectations that God has for our life. It's what we're doing right now. It's what you do in Sunday school. It's what we do on Wednesday nights with our children and our youth. It's what we do in discipleship as we teach in, in multiple ways people what it means to look like Jesus, to walk like Jesus, to worship God, to follow Him. So the purpose of the church is to proclaim the gospel. The purpose of the church to the lost. The purpose of the church is to see believers grow and mature in their faith. And why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. So that ultimately God will be glorified by seeing believers grow and mature in their faith. Because as people grow and mature in their faith, then we, we understand the depths of what God has done for us. We see the love that He has shown for us through Jesus. We understand that without Jesus Christ, that, that people are going to die and go to hell. So we warn people and we go out and they get saved and they come in and they get taught and they mature. They go out and they warn people. It's this cycle that happens as we mature in our our faith, as we begin to, to understand the value of the gospel and the importance of it, as we begin to take our faith, our, our eyes off of ourselves and off of this world, and we set it on Christ, and we set it on His kingdom, then His kingdom begins to expand. So the purpose of the church is to share the gospel, disciple believers, see them mature, send them out to share the gospel, to disciple believers, see them mature, send them out, this cycle, and that's how change happens. That's how the church grows. That's how lives are changed and people are saved. Is when we are understanding who God is and what He has done for us, we mature in our faith to where we accept the burden, this responsibility that Paul has talked about, to take out God's Word. As we take out God's Word, not as pastors and deacons, but as His servants, as people who love Him, as people who love His creation, as people who love His church, we do what we can, how God has made us and gifted us with the relationships that God has given us to see the gospel expand and to see Christians grow in their faith. That is the purpose of the church. And this is not something that Paul created. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, Jesus gives the great commission before He ascends into heaven and He says this, 
Go therefore, make disciples. How do you make disciples? You see lost people become saved people and you see them grow in their faith to be mature in Christ. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I command you. Once again, that same idea. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The purpose of the church that Jesus Christ gave, the purpose of the church that Paul gave is the exact same purpose. We glorify God by taking the gospel out, by seeing believers grow and mature in their faith, and repeating that process over and over and over and over again. That is the purpose of the church. Look, as a church, we do fun things. We enjoy each other's company. We laugh. We eat breakfast together. We're going to have lunch together next week. There are things that we do together that we fellowship with one another. We build one another up. And that is all good. And that is all kind of held within this purpose. But the chief end of the church, the main point of the church, is to glorify God by seeing lost people saved and seeing saved people but grow and mature in their faith. And then Paul closes with this last statement that's going to serve as a question for us. Paul says in verse 29, For this I toil, or I work, struggling with all energy, that, that with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul says that I'm struggling, I'm working. God is energizing me, God is empowering me. I'm working towards this goal. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is, how are we serving the church to help in its goal. How are we serving in the church to help the church reach its goal? Now understand, this doesn't mean that everyone has to be a preacher. This doesn't mean that everyone has to be a Sunday school teacher. This doesn't mean that everyone has to, uh, to do things publicly. On Wednesday night, we've got ladies who come in and cook every week for, for 50 kids and, and 30 to 40 uh, youth to, to serve them, to love them, to give them love that they might not receive many other places so they can come in so that they can hear the gospel proclaimed so they can learn about who God is. That is serving in a way that, that impacts uh, people. We partner with our association and we give away clothes and we give away food uh, through the Agape Mission and we partner with them. And so serving there is another way to show God's love so that the gospel can be shared. There are a million different things that we can do in the church and even outside of the church to serve for the purpose of seeing the lost saved and believers grow in their faith. The question is, what are we doing? What am I doing? How am I serving God and serving the church to see the goal and the purpose of the church? Salvation, discipleship, maturity. How am I serving to see that happen? If you're saying, Cam, what do I do or how can I do? I don't know what the next step to take is if I want to do something, but I don't know what. See John and Virginia Harvey. They've got... 40 to 50 youth that show up on Wednesday nights. They probably need help up there. See Rachel Nipper. They've got another 50 kids down here on Wednesday night. They probably need help. See me. We'll find something for you to do. There's things that can be done. There's ways that you can serve in the church. Now understand, once again, I'm not trying to shame or force anybody into anything. This is ultimately not a a discussion between me and you. This is a discussion between you and God. This is something that you have to work out with God. God, how have you called me? How have you built me? How have you shaped me so that I can go out and and serve? And how do I best fit within the church to do that? That's something that you and God need to work out. And then we are here. However you want to serve, we can find a way to make that work. 
And look, understand too, understand too, that I understand that there are times, that there are seasons in life when, when it's hard. My wife just got done being pregnant. And that pregnancy, she was very sick. So she went from serving in the nursery and teaching a, a women's Bible study to, to barely being able to be here on Sunday mornings. I understand there's times like that. I understand with farmers that once it's planting time and, and harvest time, it's tough to do things outside of maybe even just Sunday morning. I understand there is grace. There is always grace. But also understand that we cannot use those excuses all the time to keep us from serving God and serving in His church. Because God has called us to do that. And God has called us to do that because the value, what God does through that, through us working in and serving in the church, to see the gospel spread has such weight with it, eternal weight, eternal impact, that we can't push to the side, that we can't make excuses because someone's eternity might be somehow responsible on us and our serving God. Now, let me rephrase that. God will give us a blessing. God will give us the joy of serving Him and of impacting others. And when we choose not to do that, God's still big enough to work even if we don't. He said the the rocks and trees will cry out if we don't. But we miss out on so much in our spiritual life. We are stunted in our spiritual walk when we choose not to serve, when we choose not to be a part of the church. If you want to come and sit on Sundays and Wednesdays or Sunday nights and you just want to come and sit and worship and, 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 and study together, that's great. That's fine. That is a good, good thing to do. But that's as far as we go, and we are not serving in the church, and we are missing out on a large part of what God has created us for and what God has saved us for. So keep that in mind, that God has not made us just to come and and be here, but God has made us to come to work together for a common goal of seeing His name exalted by seeing the lost saved and believers growing and maturing in their faith. Let's pray.